what is our role as church leaders? So, and I'm going to get straight to some of this content in a second. I just want to establish a few assumptions I have to make sure we're on the same page. So, um, I'm assuming that we all agree your role as a leader um, is to equip equip people. So let me read where that comes from. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. In my world, everybody. He just said everybody in church leadership. And 12 is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. Right? I love when Pastor Chris Hodges says to his staff, if I catch anybody doing ministry, I'm going to fire you. Right? And he, you know him, he's got a great pastor's heart, so don't misunderstand. They're loving on people, they're meeting people's needs. But your job is to equip the people that come to your church. You cannot do the ministry yourself, and it's not designed to be there. Don't know how that ever got all upside down in our model, but that is not the model. So I'm going to take the liberty of making the assumption you all agree with me on that, and talk to me after the session if you don't. But... Um, so the other assumption is what is leadership? A million different definitions. The one I've kind of locked onto that makes sense for me seems to stand out in the Bible is leadership is about relationship and results. And relationship is the bridge that the results travel across between me and whoever it is that I'm leading, right? So that's a fundamental thing, fundamental thing. Um, and that helps me understand I have to establish a relationship with the people I lead before I can ever either encourage or correct them. We have to have a relationship that that travels right across because that correction is going to come. If I say, hey, that didn't go well, if, we haven't built, if, I haven't, if I haven't built a relationship, we don't have a relationship, you are going to hear that much differently. You're going to hear that as condemnation, right? If we've built a relationship, you're going to hear that Phil believes there's more in me than I really even believe in myself, right? So that's where the relationship comes in. But the results, as we've heard from the platform and other places, and you all know there's a bunch of stuff that's got to get done, so results is part of it. So it's relationship and results. So um, your church, your ministry um, will never... Um, will never be any bigger or better than you are as a leader. You're, the limiter to your church, to your ministry, to your lead, is your, what I'll call your leader, John Maxwell calls your leadership lid. So if the lid is zero to 10, let's say, maybe there's some 12s out there. Um, but if it's zero to 10, if you're a five, then that is the limit of your staff, that's the limit of your volunteers and of your church. Again, I want you to feel the weight of that, the importance of that. I don't want you to feel the burden of that because um, if you are diligent, if you believe in God, you believe in what he's put inside of you, we can make our way through that. But it takes the process. Um, it's a process. You are a work in process. So, um, so if, we can, if you follow me on my theory, if we can raise your lid, then you can make breakthroughs and your church will go, will grow, excuse me, it will go and grow. Uh, um, so we're getting ready to talk about growth barriers, and God, what God put on my heart is to say um, the best, best way to overcome growth barriers is to prevent them, right? Because I spend a lot of my time as a coach and my team kind of um, building the things to fix the, to fix the challenges 
that shouldn't be there in the first place if we had just done the very things that we're doing now if we had done them before. All right, so that's the mindset here is um, that, uh, and so I'm gonna give you a handful of common growth barriers and I'm gonna say we consistently create. And this comes from being out in the field a lot. You know, well, I always like to say, um, and again, at Focus 412 in the ministry, I have the blessing of, of um, following God in. We, we say we are ground zero. So if you meant to be in a, a session that's going to have like a, a bunch of great principles, this is probably not the right one. Those things are super important. Read a book by John Maxwell, read a book by Pastor Chris Hodges, by Dino Rizzo, by name a bunch of pastors in here. Um, go to conferences like this to get the fundamental principles. You can't go anywhere without those. But those are like building a building. Those are the foundation. But at some point, you got to start putting the framework up. And at some point, you got to start swinging the hammer to get the building built. So um, I tend to operate in, the, in what we call ground zero, meaning leadership really, most of leadership learning happens in the trenches. About 10% happens in the classroom. The other 90% in the trenches. So we're going to be down in the trenches today. Um, and we're going to go wherever God follows us. As we go into this, let me pause for a second and do what I should have done before we started. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for um, time together with leaders. You, you know, I've, I've felt called to do this and to be sitting in front of people that would trust me for a few minutes to speak into their lives and encourage them is just beyond my level of expression and gratitude. So um, help me to, to um, speak your words, and I pray that this would be encouragement and it would be challenged to help and encourage and grow and equip in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's understand how they happen. So common growth barriers we consistently gr uh, create. Number one, we focus more on the externals than on the internals. There are very few churches I visit that have a really sucky experience on the weekend. Now that happens sometimes, but it's not for a lack of trying, because that's what people walk in, that's where our eyeballs are on, that's where our egos are at, right? And this is we, I'm not criticizing you. Um, but uh, growth is about healthy people, culture, and systems. It's really more about what goes on behind the scenes than on the screen, right? And I'm not giving you any permission to, to have not be excellent up front. You've got to do that. If you don't do that, you're dead in the water. Nobody's going to look behind the scenes. Nobody's going to plug in to experience the systems, right? So, so growth is about healthy pe people. So it's about people being healthy, pouring into people, finding the right people. When I say right people, don't want to make anybody nervous. There are people that are called to do the same mission that you're doing. That you know, There's a bunch of churches. There's a reason for that. We're not all on the same mission. We all have the same ultimate mission. We have different visions about how we're going to get there. So there are going to be people that come around, and those people that come around, you need to invest in them. Um, so the weekend experience is important, but it's only, the way I look at it is it's one of the systems that you are called to use to develop people and grow your church. So number two is we solve problems by starting new things. This is like almost at the epidemic level. Um, so my question to you is, um, or let me de describe that. So this is, we did something, it was awesome, 
And before we can tear it, if it, was, if it was an event, before we can tear it down, we're already planning the next event because that one was awesome and some people came in the building so we get excited. Um, and I'm not saying events are bad or doing good things are, is, is a bad thing. I'm just saying when I look around the landscape um, and I see, I look in the, in, for examples in the whole world, not just the church world, and when I see in and out Burger and Chick-fil-A, I don't see 722 things on the menu, I just don't. Um, so, um, and if I go to Roost Chris, I go to Roost Chris, I know what I'm getting, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be very few things. It's gonna be steak on a plate, it's gonna be hot, it's gonna be buttery, it's gonna be awesome. No deference to my friends at Golden Corral, but if I go to Golden Corral, I'm gonna have choices oh plenty. I can eat as much as I want, it's all over the place. I can have anything from cream, cream corn to scallop corn to corn on the cob, but I'm not so sure how good any of it really is. So, so my question to you is, are you, are you Roos Chris or are you Golden Corral? So, um, So let me share, and I, I always want to be practical because it's super important. Like every, a lot of times, so many times I walk, I walk out, we walk out of these sessions and it's like, you just want something. It's like, I love that, that's awesome. But like, I want to go back and do something. What, I need something practical. So you guys hold me accountable. I want to make sure I give you some stuff and I hope it doesn't sound elementary, but I, I want you to be able to go like, I'll go take that back, plug it in and do it. Um, so this is one that maybe works for a few people. So I run a very young ministry. It's exciting. God's doing some stuff. It's crazy. I, you know, I feel, um, I don't know if you ever feel this way. I felt like I've led a lot and I've learned a lot, but days, days I feel like I don't know what I'm, I don't, not that I don't know what I'm doing, but it's just it's, God's providing more than I can just even wrap my brain around. It's a humility thing for me. Like, I don't get it. So. Um, there's a lot of choices I have to make, and there's a lot of things we could do because we're young and we're small, and people are like, hey, partner with us to do this. Hey, come do this. Hey, I need you to do that. And so what I decided is I need an opportunity. I call it my opportunity filter, meaning I have to pre-decide what I'm going to, the filter I'm going to run my opportunities through because there's going to be a lot, and you guys get them all the time. There's people that want to help, partner. There's things that happen, somebody gives you a building, money, people, whatever. And oftentimes we do things because it's a great opportunity, but it's not your opportunity, right? It's somebody else's, and you really aren't going to do a great job at it. So here, let me give you my opportunity filter. It, this isn't yours. It's, I just want to show you the process and how it works. So there's four components of the filter really fast is, number one, there has to be a great need, meaning... I have to see, it's not just like, hey, I ran across this, that's something we could do. There's gotta be a great need out there for whatever this thing is that's presenting itself to me. There needs to be a, a great need. Number two is no one else is doing it well. No one else is doing it well. In the leadership world, there's a bunch of leadership networks and it's like, Phil, you ought to do a leadership network. I'm like, there's other good ones out there. See Matt Keller at Next Level. See, you know, I'm gonna refer you to some place. I'm gonna join in with the people that are already doing it well. I don't need to join in. I'm looking for blue ocean. Okay, so there's a great need. No one else is doing it well. Third is we, meaning my team and I, have a great level of expertise in that area, right? So whatever this opportunity is, like we know a lot about that. It's not like something that fell out of the sky and I don't know a single thing about 
building basketball courts. Well, then it's probably a good reason I should stay away from it, right? And the number fourth one, and it's really important, and it's very different than having great level of expertise, number four is we have great passion around it. I know how to do a bunch of stuff. I'm not bragging, but I know how to do a bunch of stuff, and I may have expertise in areas, but if I'm not highly passionate about it, so it's there's a great need, no one else is doing it well, we have a great level of expertise, and we have a great passion. And those, you know, once I locked into that filter, the stress of every time some good thing comes down the road falls off of me. Who was it? Somebody help me. Somebody uh, said if you have margin, Pastor Chris, I think, that was, maybe that was yesterday, sorry, I was with Pastor Chris at the financial uh, growth thing, but he said, you know, if you build margin and you're not stressed out on the way there, if you will, so like, I'm now welcome all these crazy ideas and opportunities that people want us to get involved in because I go, nope, 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 thank you, very honored, honored, thank you, thank you. Wow, that's interesting. And we had one uh, lately that we did and, and we're doing this whole campus pastor training thing because we found out literally nobody in the country right now is doing campus pastor training. Surprised me, we have expertise, blah, blah, blah. So it's like it fit the filter and we're all in. And like, I never wake up and going, is this the right thing? I wake up and go, can't believe, is this gonna work? That that's a possibility, but like, I know it's the right thing to, I know it's the right thing to do. So sorry, I spent a little bit more time on that than I should have, but um, it's an important one. So number three is we, this one breaks my heart lately and I see it, I'm seeing a lot and I'm so scared I'm doing it too, is number three is we starve our teams. Let me explain that, we starve our teams. I, I work with um, lead pastors and their lead staffs usually kind of at that level and I, I'm mixing it up with everybody but like our interaction of having meetings and going through our system and process to, to train and coach people and what I hear so often, especially from the team below the leader is like, it's what I call a dollar waiting on a dime. It's just like, you're, you're waiting for an answer that if you had it two weeks ago on a decision, you could have moved forward and taken a bunch of ground. But there's one leader and a bunch of people and the decision making all rests kind of at the top. And there's not a system or a process to make decisions or to decentralize authority so you've got all this stuff clogged up waiting for five minutes with the boss, if you will. And that's, um, and again, I've got a young team, so it's like, gosh, really? Like, can I not spend more time with them? So um, some of the, again, some of the practical ways, like how do you prevent that? Um, and let me give one more point in that is, um, if you aren't doing one-on-ones with your team, I'm stepping out. We've been saying like, it's a good idea. I'm just here to say, it's a must. If you're not doing regular one-on-ones with your team, you are leaving more um, productivity and more advancement and more ground on the table than you could ever believe. Because remember I started saying results in relationship, you can't be in relationship without getting in a room one-on-one, -on -one, not one-on-five. And the other principle, Pastor Chris taught me this, is nothing grows without intimacy. You, and you can't have intimacy in a room like that. So. Um, so you have to have one-on-ones. And do my one-on-ones sound like this? Do your one-on-ones sound like this? Hey, Bob, it's good to see you. Hey, Sally, it's good to see you. Sit down. Hey, we got like 15 minutes here. Just wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one with you. So my first question is, 
how'd it go with the stuff I gave you last week? Did you get that all done? Yeah, well, I got this, had this problem, got this done. Okay, well, here's the stuff I need for you to do next week. You got that? So here's number five, here's number six. All right, you got, do you understand that? Okay, cool. All right, you good? All right, I got, I got to go. All right, you good? All right, bye. So that's most of our one-on-ones, right? So that's a, that, that is um, the back half, that's the results part. It won't yield any results, by the way. It's the task part of it, but there's no relationship there, and quite frankly, there's no uh, development there. So let me give you three questions to ask. You do this with every one of your staff, and, I, and if you got, I'm not talking about your whole staff like you got 300 people on your staff. I'm talking about the people that report directly to you that rely on your leadership. So um, the three questions you ask, and you can do all kinds of versions of these things, but the first question is, how are you? That is the relational question. And you're not just asking these questions, you actually, I'm challenging you to say, before you ask the question, you actually care. You actually care. I'm not imputing anybody's in, in character. We're all believers. But at the end of the day, sometimes we ask that question, we really won't want to know. We really don't care. Most of the big leadership lid breakthroughs I've seen in life come from the answer to that question. It has nothing to do with did you get the did we pull the event off? How many people were there? And, and all that other stuff. So that's the biggest breakthrough. So that's the relational, how are you? Second question is, what are you working on? That's the results question. And I don't mean like, I have no idea what you're working on, but what are you, what are you focused on right now? And that's, it's also an inroad into saying what's, you know, kind of what's challenging you, what, what are the rubs? And the third one is, how can I support you in that? That's the development question. Because if they say, I'm really working on this communication that we're trying to do to drive people into small groups, and I'm really struggling with my ability to cast the vision to the team to get them fired up to do it, or whatever the case is, and I say, how can I support you in that? They might say, I'd really love to understand like how I can, these are the three things I tried, they didn't work, and I'm still trying that, and I might say, listen, you know, so-and-so is a great communicator in this area, they're really good at next steps, blah, 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 or I may do some, I may say, read this book, I may say, whatever it is, that's my chance and opportunity to step into the gap, the leadership gap between where I'm at, my present, and my potential, and speak into that. And it all happens um, in a one-on-one -on -one that costs no money, costs a little bit of time, any room will do, as long as it's quiet, as long as it's private, and if it's mixed, you have a window on the door, you're, you're good to go. And if you do that every week or every other week for two years, the things that you will grow in your leaders. Everybody asks me, like, and I, I work a little bit with Highlands College, privileged to, to work with Highlands College some and be able to, to be a part of that. It's like, we want to do a college. I'm like, how about if you start with the one-on-one? -on -one? How about that? Because Highlands College started as an internship with a few people in Lane Trance's basement talking about leadership and, and mentoring and apprenticeship. And then it went from five people to 25, and then from five, 25 to 75, from 75 to 150, to an apprenticeship, to a one-year program, to a two-year program, to a three-year, now to an accredited college. It didn't start with Pastor Chris going, I see a college, right? He saw a leader and then he saw more leaders and it was a progressive level. So my point is, the big things are awesome and you can plug yourself into these big, but if you've got a church 
you shouldn't be worried about some big, huge leadership development school mechanism course. That's a good thing to do. It's a goal to have. Day one, if you're not doing one-on-ones, you can do that every day. Um, Pastor, Pastor Denny Hodges, Pastor Chris's brother, who's on lead staff here at the church, um, is one of the greatest leaders I know. He's developed more people than I know. Um, and when I asked him, like, what's your one thing? He said, I never miss a one-on-one. It's their time. And he pedantically goes after what can I do to make better and better one-on-ones. And he literally schedules his whole deal around one-on-ones. And he's had, I would say, he's known on staff here as the developer. And that's like his mechanism. I'm not recommending it's everybody's only mechanism. Like he's tripled down on it. It works. So um, I want to be careful with time because I want to do a little Q&A too with you guys. Um, So number four is we wait until we need leaders to develop leaders. So if you're one of the folks that said, I'm going to plant a church, I will flat out kiss you on the lips if you start growing leaders day one, meaning you don't have to have a big building, a permanent facility, and wait till like I've got all these people come to my church, I need elite staff and all that. The day you start growing leaders is day one. Start pouring into people, investing into people is day one. If you build the systems and structures and it has to be organized, it has to be well thought out, but we always wait till about year two or three after we're out of energy by doing it with the small group of people we started with, the core people, and we don't have enough energy to muscle through it anymore, and then the systems and structures aren't there, and the development isn't there, so we haven't proliferated leaders enough. And I gotta tell you, this is my, my um, the thing that's the most on my heart. I literally think about it before I go to bed when I wake up, and that is just to tell you, like, it's developing leaders is the only problem you can't fix today. I can, I challenge you, raise your hand and ask me a question, and I, I can tell you how to fix it, meaning I don't have a building. Somebody could drop $5 million on you, we could go down the street, rent you a building, lease you a building, or buy one today, and move in tomorrow. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it can happen, I've seen it happen. You could fix a building problem, it will get fixed. It could possibly be fixed in a day, right? So resources can fix a lot of things, they really can. They can make bad things go away, they can do all kinds of stuff. They can't grow leaders. Leaders takes years of development, right? So if you come to me and say, I've got the money to open up two more campuses, somebody just, you know, we've raised the money, I have a giving church, we have the money, we have the time, and we've got people literally coming from, you know, 50 miles away that if we opened up a campus there, they would all go and we could have an opening day of a thousand people and we would grow it from there. The only thing I don't have is a campus pastor. The other thing I don't have is a worship leader. I mean, I got a couple people that are really competent, but they don't have the heart of the house. And I'm like, well, there's some really good um, staffing agencies out there, and I'm not against that at all. It's, it's a must-have if you haven't done the work over the last three years to pour into them. And again, they can get the heart of the house from day one. You don't have to have it. You can have six people in your church worship and you know with an acoustic guitar and you can be speaking leadership and vision and training people at that level because you can't synthesize um, any of the stuff especially heart of the house I can't help you with that like I can set up an onboarding system can't like I'm not a heart surgeon I can't do that 
you know, not that I'm the answer. I'm just saying people ask me, like, you know, I'm a, I got these campuses I got to launch tomorrow. And I'm like, well, I wish you'd, we had talked five years ago or three years ago, right? I hope this doesn't sound negative at all. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help you guys. I really, I, I have a heart to, to help you guys, um, to help us, us, not you guys, it's not us. Um, all right, got off track, got passionate. Um, so, um, yeah, so let's see. <laughs> yeah, um, here's the second one, underneath. We wait, um, we wait until we need leaders to develop leaders. The second point is, we think our dream team, whatever you're, you call, a lot of you call it the dream team, some of you call it the E team, the A team, whoever your volunteer team is, we think our dream team is a leadership development system. And I think I'd be careful here, Pastor Chris, don't fire me. Um, so. I am not saying the dream team is a bad thing. It is the best thing that's happened to the church for a long time, right? But it's, it is a system to, to systematically plug people into leadership positions to be volunteer leaders to do functions in your church, right? And that is a foundational, fundamental element. If you're not doing that, don't listen to the next thing. Do that first and then listen to what I have to say after that. But that is, that is the platform and the inventory, if you will, of leaders that you now need to develop, right? So showing up every week and being, the, being a greeter is a great thing. It's gonna change my life. There's gonna be transformation that happens through my experiences. And I'm, I, I could grow as a leader, but there is, it, it's not a, a leadership development engine. It's about, and probably what I'm gonna get instructed on is how to be a really friendly, great greeter. Right? But I'm a, if I'm a leader, like I've got a family, I've got a, I might have a job, I want to grow you. Our responsibility as a church is to grow you as a leader, not as a great greeter. Right? right? I want you to be a great greeter, but I also want to... Um, so what I want to do is flip the paradigm from I serve my church. Service is great. That's what we were born to do. But I serve my church, meaning I love my church, so I show up and I greet, to... If, if you come to me and you start investing in my leadership and you start teaching me things that, the, that, that my company doesn't either trust me with or tell me about because they're just concerned about me doing my job versus leading, and you start leading general leadership principles and you're all capable, you're all capable, you don't have to be a leadership expert to teach people, you know, um, teaching someone about how to set a room and, and create atmosphere so people learn more is a fundamental principle for your family and for work. We do that really well in the church. You can teach that. So the paradigm flip is instead of I serve my church and I give my church time because I want to volunteer there too, my church invests in me and believes in me and it's changed my life. It's, it's raised the level of my family, my children, and I'm, I'm leading now at work. So believe me, I'm coming back for seconds for that. It's not like, hey, I think I'll give them some more time because I really love them and I want to serve them. To, I need, you need to give me some more of that, right? So that's when the, that's the, we talk about the leadership engine. That is the engine. But that's not going to happen if all you do is the dream team. That would be like me if I met you and you said, hey, I have a restaurant. And I say, really? Like, how do you develop your leaders? And you go, we have this system in the restaurant. And the system we have in the restaurant is 
we've got people, we've got the cooks, we've got the wait staff, we've got the, the, ho the host or hostess, we've got um, the front of house, back of house, and they all have jobs. We've trained them how to do those jobs. And we have a scheduling system, and the scheduling system tells them when to show up and what to do when they get there. You'd go, that's awesome. So tell me about your leadership development system, right? So again, I'm not preaching heresy. I'm, I'm the biggest advocate of the dream team that ever lived. I just know that, I also know at Church of the Highlands and in a lot of other places, the, the things that may not be in all the systems and structures, they are also pouring into people and raising up the leaders in those areas. So we don't always, I'm just saying the things that they would all tell you if there was more time at the seminar or whatever to, to do. So, um, all right. So the, the, Philip, how am I doing on time? One more? Okay. All right. Um, number, number five, I think we're on, is we measure the wrong things. So it's, it's not about how many people attended your men's conference, right? It's how many signed up for a small group before they left. And of the people, I'm kind of a geek about this stuff, but I tell you, I, I come from 30-some years in the business world, and things don't run without metrics there. And I've just seen, like, you just can't run something well if you don't know what's happening. You know, if my daughter, you know, it's like, um, forget my daughter, let's talk about my dog. If my dog came up and I could see that my dog is, is just, like, super sick and, and ready to die, it's pretty frustrating because, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know what's going on, so what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to have, if I had a monitor that said, this is the dog's temperature, this is the, it's a weird analogy to use. It was spontaneous, I can't help it, but <laughs> I, note to self, next time you talk about they have a really good example that people aren't staring weirdly at you, wondering what you're talking about. Um, here's my point, you guys know this, like, um, it's measuring the right things, and it's also the number underneath the number, Right? So celebrating how many people were here on Sunday is awesome, but there's a bunch of stuff underneath that, right? It's the movement, it's what I call the churn, like, right? So I was in the cable industry for a long time, really quick story, it's a great example of metrics is, I was the operations guy, so I ran a $500 million division of the company that was essentially the hands and feet that you all see when you think cable system, the installers, the service techs, the maintenance techs, the engineers, all that stuff. So. 20,000 people running around out there in and out of people's houses. It's a nightmare. I don't do that anymore. So, um, so every month it would be, a big question from corporate is, how many customers did we gain? So in my division, we had 400,000 customers. So you'd be a hero if you said, well, we were at 400,000 last month, and we have 410,000 customers. That means we gained 10,000 customers over the last 30 days. High five, drop the mic, everything's cool. Well, being the operations guy, the numbers that I was concerned about is the number underneath the number. Okay, so the number underneath the number is we gained 10,000 customers this month, but in the cable industry, we have what we call truck rolls, meaning if you need your cable installed or disconnected to be installed, we gotta roll a truck out that costs about 100 bucks, and when you decide to disconnect, it costs about 100 bucks to roll a truck out to unplug it, right? So if we gain 10,000 customers, celebrate, look at all the revenue, but we may have done 40,000 installations, right? So we did 40,000 installations, but we did 30,000 disconnects. So we netted 10,000 customers, but we rolled 70,000 trucks. 
to get 10,000 customers. So when we start talking about how many people are attending our church, like, is that the same 300 people that were there last week? Are you changing out people every other week? Because you're spending a lot of time, energy, and capital doing that. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong if that's happening. It means you need to know what's, how much activity did we do to get that? If, you know, and again, this isn't about, you know, I, like as many people as can get saved as possible, we celebrate everyone. There's a person behind every number. But wouldn't you rather have 50 people get saved than 10? I mean, so it's important when people say, oh, the numbers thing. I'm like, do the right things and the numbers will happen. So I'm not, like, I don't wake up in the morning and going, I want this number to go from 10 to 15. I'm doing the right thing to make that number go to 10, 15. And I'm just checking to make sure that the number actually did, right? So, so that's the, so the question you might want to write down is, do my metrics measure my values? So what are your values? You get to choose them. Pick five. Figure out what they are. And and go completely all in on those five, but then just make sure if these are your values, then make sure that the activity and the measurement measures against you winning in those values, right? So, um, I think I'm gonna stop there and do, uh, not stop, but shift. Um, we've got, uh, I think, one mic floating around out there. Um, so I would love to, love to, love to, and please, challenging questions are welcomed. I may or may not have the answer, but, or you may say, hey, I don't believe, I don't believe what you said is true. Tell me what you think. I'd love to learn as well. So, um, questions. So one of the things you mentioned was, was maybe taking on too many opportunities and, and overburdening a small team. Um, in your experience, how do you pair back to create margin and to get back to a place where you're practicing brilliance in the basics? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have a practice, like especially if you find yourself, I hope this answers the question, if not, tell me, but the specifically, typically we, we figure that out when we've got too many things going on and you're either mad at the people you're leading because they haven't finished the stuff you gave them last week because they're still working on the stuff you gave them the week before, your latest vision, you know, it's like, and I love, no, seriously, I love the fact that, like, most of you guys now are, the church was without vision for a while. I don't mean, like, the whole church, but just, like, the church in America kind of lacked visionary people. It was more like just, you know, pre preach and hope they'll get it stuff. And now that there's vision out there, sometimes the vision comes quick, and you have to kind of know how much of that to let loose, you know, because you, if you have your team still working on vision from two weeks ago, and you have another one this week. So here's how what I would do is we start by taking it's really hard to pare it down because you have all these sacred cows up there. You have all the things that you love. So like what we do, the exercise I do is we take everything off the board, meaning take everything that you do and put it all off in a pile. And then what we, where we start is start pulling, have your values in one hand and, and start pulling what you want to do out of the, so you're starting from zero, S start from scratch, don't freak out because it's like you, you haven't done anything but say you're starting from zero. You haven't canceled anything yet. 
But it's the hardest thing for people to do. It's like, hey, they won't even let me take it off the board. So like yeah. a lot of times we'll list all the stuff you do and then we take an eraser or we should cross it all out and just say, okay, now what should you be doing? So start from scratch. Because otherwise, man, paring the list down takes like six years and you give up before you're finished because it's so... <laughs> so just start from zero and say, what are the five things we should be doing? And have the intestinal fortitude not to love things you need to let go of. You know, I mean, love them, but give them to somebody who's going to do them, somebody next door or down the street. Does that make sense? That's good. Yeah, thank you. Yes, sir. So I've got a question as it relates to um, the whole coaching leadership development process. I've got uh, life groups, so we're four years into our, our deal. Things are going great, but the, um, the challenge for me is, is that uh, I want to see uh, leaders develop, and I'm just not really sure how do I create a pool, you know, I guess uh, create a pool for that actual leadership development. Do you, I've got execs, et cetera, in my, in my congregation. What, what would you suggest as far as creating a pocket for that and trying not to have my life group leaders hate me because yeah. I'm aborting their yeah. people? Yeah, um, so one of the principles is, um, develop the next level. So if everybody develops the next level, so if I'm, if I'm the, lead, you know, the formal leader, if you will, we're all leaders, but if I'm the lead pastor or whoever I am leading the ministry, so where I should be spending my time in development is the layer below me. So if, that's, if you don't have a lead staff, it's the four or five people that are, that are the high potential people that you deal with every day. If you have a formal lead staff, it's your lead staff. Don't reach down three or four levels. You want to do things that are going to touch those levels, but each level develops the level beneath them, right? So, so that way you've got the proper um, levels of, um, like in the church world, it would be when if I've got 50 people and I go to a church, you know, that's humongous, um, and they're teaching me, there might be six churches in between there that could be, you know, a church of, if I'm at 250, a church of 1,500 may be able to teach me more than I could ever know, you know, and, and maybe a megachurch teaches a, you know, a little smaller megachurch, but in the staffing part about it, the volunteer side is, is sometimes we try to teach everybody all the time and develop, I should be saying develop people all, everybody all the time, so that'll give you heartburn, try to figure it out, and what systems. So I always think of like, it's me developing them, if I can in, ingrain both culturally and relationally and from a results perspective, um, the next level, then they can develop the next level. And the other place we lose this on is in the volunteer ranks. Like, you can find some really incredible people in your church that can be what we call volunteer directors, meaning they're the highest level. And if you have a flat organization within your volunteers, you're leaving a lot on the table. Meaning you've got to have, how many Philip? Four, I was gonna say three or four, so four. Um, four levels of, of leadership. Meaning you've got somebody who is serving, you have, a I'll use common words, team leader, coordinator, and then probably a director level. So their director is leaders of leaders of leaders. And it, it's the same cascade we use for any other organizational structure, but when it comes to volunteer, it's like it's just all flat, and we expect that that's going to work out well. Um, but here's the thing is it gives you, um, it gives you the ability um, to open up slots, and I think, you, I don't remember the word you use, but like a, a place 
for leaders that are now getting it and going to a higher level to lead at that level. If my choice is to be a greeter or usher, like, or a team leader, I may have, my leadership may be that I can be a director um, at Elevation. I had directors at campuses that had 2,000 volunteers reporting to them that were volunteers and had, you know, internally 45 leaders and then under them 2,000 volunteers. They were volunteers. But if you don't open up those slots and create them, people, it's a vacuum. You gotta create a vacuum for leaders to come up on. So that's another place where, um, and the other thing I'll say real quickly is have a, have a, um, a leadership profile. Make sure you have a leadership profile. Anytime you're trying to identify um, leaders, and the first step is you can all um, create a profile, just take five things and say, what are the five characteristics of, of how someone would lead really well here. Meaning some staffs are high, some pastors and staffs are very high communication. So like we're looking for communicators because everybody would have to be a leader here. You'd have to, these are not general leadership. These are what does leadership look like here? These are your personal characteristics, lead pastors. This is probably like who you are as a leader. And it's those, you're not trying to make people like you, but people have to lead kind of, if you will, in your, your lane. Some leadership teams are more assertive, more direct, some are less. And I gotta know when I'm leading here at your church, which one of those it is, okay? So create a profile and say, what are the five things? I'm looking for a thermostat. Well, what's a thermostat? A thermostat is somebody who comes into the room and changes the temperature of the room. Doesn't mean they jump up on the table and start casting vision. They could be sitting in the back of the room, but they change the temperature room. That's what I'm looking for, because that's what we need here. Once you have your five, the next step is identify, depending on the size of your church, anywhere from five to 25 um, leaders that seem to fit that mold and identify them, make sure everybody on your team knows who they are. And as you start to progress, that's the team that you're gonna start selectively developing. So the next time you're going to preach at a conference and you need somebody to come along with you to, to, for accountability or whatever reason you have somebody traveling you, guess what pool of people you're gonna to go to and on the way to preaching, you're gonna tell them how you prepare when you're going to do something that's very important. So they're gonna learn about preparation. So it's, it, again, that's a very simple system. You could do that on your way to the car. You could call your team and go, hey, we're doing this. So, and that's how it's done at Highlands. It's part of the magic is, I guarantee their Lane Trance knows that there's 25 people that, that are being developed. They're the high potential leaders. And then those leaders, one of the first things that's gonna be for them to identify they're five to 25 to do that as well. Simple thing, simple thing. Yes, sir. You, you talked a little bit about starving our teams yeah. and um, you talked about like holding the decision and they could have made the decision, but you've also talked a little bit about growing the leaders. How do you, can you talk a little bit about how do you know what decisions to keep and which, you know, at what point do you give decision-making power to people? Can you talk a little bit of that continuing? Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, um, I'm just looking for because God gave me something really specific to say about that. Um, hold on, it's here. Yeah, and I, this came to me, it's not any brilliance of mine, but it was lack of authority breeds lack of ownership, right? Good. Good. I can't, if, if you made the decision, if it don't work out, I guess you made the wrong decision. I didn't make the decision, and I'm not saying that's anybody's attitude, but so you the the um, Jim Kuykendall, who's a good friend of mine, said this last night, and he's like, 
um, somebody said, you know, do you want the decisions to be central or decentralized? And he said, I hope I'm quoting him right. He said, I want to be the decision, I want the decision to be as close to the problem as possible, yeah, right? Right, and an old boss of mine used to say, I'd never tell the plumber which wrench to use, right? So you gotta say like, how long are you gonna be the expert? Um, and um, quite frankly, I think this thought, and I'm ashamed to think it, but because it's not really true, but it's like, gosh, you know, I really need to make that decision because I know a lot about, more about that than they do, meaning one of the people on my team, and it's like, well, that's great, and I could tie myself up to make that decision, but what if I spent my time um, helping them understand how to think versus what I know, right? So it's about, it's not about transferring knowledge. Um, it's about driving the why down and the how will come up. So your job is to constantly to recast. So if they know vision and they know culture and they, have the, they know vision and have the right culture, the decisions are gonna work themselves out. And you, do, you need to do all the hard work around how we make it, what is our decision-making process, right? So we have a process and it's defined and it's decentralized to say, these are the decisions that can be made, if you will, in the field. These are the decisions that you know can have to roll up. And I think you probably know what most of those are, but you just haven't defined them with your people. Meaning, um, yeah, um, if, if, uh, if my daughter came up to me and said, dad, 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 can you, you know, can you help me figure out, can you make, can you tell me which piece goes into which piece I'm doing this crossword puzzle? Like, and if, uh, God forbid, I'm on the phone or whatever and I'm too busy to help her. Like, I'm not gonna slam the phone down and run over there because I need to do that. If I see her standing next to me with a very long, sharp knife in her hand and she's like, Dad, can you tell me how to use this knife? I'm gonna drop what I'm doing and, and help her understand how to use that knife. I look at decisions the same way. You gotta let people make some decisions that may not be the right one, that may not get the right answer, that may cause a problem Problem, may cost some money, but people need to understand and learn and own what they own and do the best they can. And there's going to be a lot more. It's kind of a time and money thing. There's going to be a lot more decisions made without you. And if you let those be made, you know, 20% of them aren't going to be right, but there's going to be probably 100 more of them made than you could have ever made yourself. And again, it's just like so much of this stuff is not as important as we think it is. There is a lot of spilled milk out there, and you thinking by being a leader you're going to prevent a lot of that, it's going to happen anyways, and I'd rather have people own it. So let people own it, but don't be reckless. Don't just say, well, you guys make the decisions. I, I let you guys do it. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I have a very clear decision. Philip Engel, who works for me, could tell me, you could name ten things, and he could tell you the five I would want to know and the five I don't need to know, just because we practice that a lot. The last thing I'll say really quick... Um, is, this is huge for me, it's been so helpful and I've seen it help leaders, is narrate your leadership. And this has a lot to do with decisions, it has a lot to do with culture. Narrating your leadership means we think a lot of things when we're in meetings, we think a lot of things when we're leading that we never say to our team and we assume they might know what's in our head. Yeah. Meaning, and, and I'll credit Pastor Stephen Furtick, uh, my old boss, um, I was honored to lead under his vision. Um, it was one of the greatest honors of my life. Um, and uh, one of the things I think he did so well was in meetings or whatever, if he didn't like something or if he did like something, he would say why he didn't like it or why he did like it. 
And so I would go, okay. And it wasn't like, okay, now I know what he likes and not likes. And he would say, the reason I like is because I don't think it's going to reach people in this way. And he would get down into it. So I'm like, um, and it's, if I can learn how he thinks, I can help lead under him. I can lead for him, if you will. When I, he is not around, I can lead in his, in his absence. I can lead for him because I am leading for him. Don't ever mistake that I'm leading for him. I'm leading for whoever I work for, whoever I'm called to lead for but I could represent him really well. You would feel like he was in the room and if something happened, somebody spilled a glass of water, somebody needed a new project done, I could almost tell you exactly how we would do that. But don't starve your teams of that because they need to know and it's not obvious, it is not obvious. So tell people how you think. The reason I'm thinking, the reason that upsets me, the reason I'm so passionate and I'm making you guys spend three extra weeks doing this is because of this. This is the why I do that. Not just the big, big vision. Please don't preach to your people. Gosh, I'm really out there today. I'm usually not that bold, but like, so preaching to your, to your congregation your people, if you will, high-level principles, big vision, and then they just run after it and figure it out, right? When you're in with your team and you're in with five or six people, you can't say, these are the five big things we're going after. Go for it. Because people, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that. If you give me a system to work in, you give me the specific why, you give me a time frame, you give me five goals around that project, that's all I need, I'm gonna kill it. I can tell five weeks later, it's done, it's done well. I know how you lead, I understand it. But don't send me out with some high level vision and walk out of the room and expect that your staff, next week you're coming to staff meeting and they'll be like, boom, done. It's not gonna be done because I don't have a system to work in. So you have to get into that stuff and be in the trenches. Um, so I, I really truly, this is not some, I mean, this is in my heart, I love you guys. Um, like if we could all afford to, I would stay and have deep conversations with each and every one of you. My team's probably laughing because that's the truth. Like we got to go. I do love you that much. And if there's anything I can do to help you, it would be my greatest privilege. So um, it's time to wrap up. I thank you. I thank God for you being here.